Hi there. I'm Robert Netkin, host of the Information Security Podcast. For 16 years, the summit has gathered thought leaders of the information security world for a week of learning, networking, and conversation about the industry. Today, we're recording live at the 2018 summit. We'll be sitting down with Gunpat Gunner Waugh, who gave a keynote at this year's summit. Gunner is an experienced FBI agent with a history in both law enforcement and national security. His knowledge of cyber, IT, finance, compliance, government, intelligence, and physical security set him apart as a leading voice in the world of information security. He'll be discussing actionable steps that an organization can take to protect themselves from a cyber security perspective. I am speaking with Assistant Special Agent in Charge, Gunpat Waugh, and your friends call you Gunner, I understand. That's correct. And you're with the FBI. <laughs> 19 years. The FBI, I always thought that, you know, those are the guys that, you know, are, are you know, we see in TV shows, they're, they're chasing down the bad guys and there are these uh, car chase scenes or there are these investigations or, I understand that it's not quite that way today. No, not really. I mean, it, it started to change, I think, in, um, in 2001 when Robert Mueller was, was appointed director of uh, the FBI. And so, you know, he came in the FBI with a vision on, was really ahead of his time in looking at the cyber threat. And, you know, he was, he was sworn in as director on September 4th, 2001. A week later, uh, we had the, you know, the attack in the United States. And then in 2002, he created the FBI Cyber Division. At that point, we did not have a cyber division of where you had focused and specialized agents and support staff who did nothing but work on cyber cases. It was, you know, part of other different squads. So we created a cyber division, pulled different resources in. We created the cybercrime task forces in all the 56 offices. Uh, initially, it, it really investigated a lot of different crimes on the internet, including identity theft and internet fraud and in, in, a theft of intellectual property rights and you know some of the music and motion picture issues we see where you see the FBI seal at the beginning, like, don't reproduce this thing. It also investigated crimes against children internet-related, uh, child pornography on the internet you know, being distributed or um, uh, produced. And we investigated computer intrusions, both criminal and national security. And then about eight years later, Director Mueller, towards the end of his, his tenure, eight, nine years later, decided the FBI had grown as an organization collectively, and we had a much stronger digital literacy footprint kind of across all different types of squads, whether white collar or violent crime or national security, you know, counterintelligence and counterterrorism. And so he focused cyber division and said, hey, there's too much going on in cyberspace. I need these really, really smart men and women who are you know, special agents and computer scientists and data scientists and intelligence analysts. I need them focusing only on computer intrusion. So a few years ago, we, we took all those other things away. And so our cyber division only works on you know, criminal and national security computer intrusion, which is really a great move. So that it took the smartest people, we don't have enough of them, focused on those hardest threats. You know, it's an ongoing struggle for us is to, you know, how do we increase the digital literacy across the board? How do we continue to recruit and compete with the, the private sector specifically right now when the economy is in such a great place? And how do we recruit those people to come in and, and be those technical resources? So that's always an ongoing battle, but certainly going and trending in the right direction. So as I'm, I'm thinking about this, I'm just imagining a typical day at the FBI in, in your cyber division. What would, what would that be like? How would you paint that picture? Would it be like what we see in TV shows or is it a much different world? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's anything on the TV show that really kind of paints it accurately. 
These are really, really, you know, whether they're in, in FBI Cleveland or one of the other 55 field offices or 56 offices all have a cyber program. And then we're, we're managed by a group at FBI headquarters, the FBI cyber division. So when you go into any FBI division, you can always tell the cyber guys because they'll have, it looks like the Starship Enterprise. It's got like every agent or analyst <laughs> has eight monitors. It's awesome. But they're really working on a wide variety of things, you know, so things, you know, on the criminal side, you know, a lot of organized crime involving like business email compromise, ransomware, some really, really hard issues there. Maybe it's the uh, the malware that's associated with a skimming device that's found in Northeast Ohio, or maybe it's a, you know, a foreign nation state, Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, who's trying to penetrate a network here in the Cleveland area. And those types of cases, almost all those cases involve other agencies here, local, state, or federal, and then often international agencies who are dealing with people overseas. Very, very challenging work. Very, very challenging. Now, something that I think is, is really key, just these activities are all law enforcement activities. I mean, we're talking about crimes that are being committed. You know, we think of, you know, information security, and, and maybe there's a focus sometimes in these venues on the tech side of it, the vulnerabilities or the hackers and and maybe what gets lost in a lot of that discussion is we're talking about real laws, law enforcement. I mean, people go to jail over this. People are arrested over this and uh, those that are within the reach of U.S. law. I mean, what are some examples of cases where people were playing around, not thinking about the fact that these are laws, and all of a sudden they found themselves on the other side of handcuffs? Well, and it could be something as, you know, you know, some of them are very, very complex, you know, particularly some of the foreign nations aid activities, which we uh, we have now recently, starting in 2014, started charging foreign intelligence and military officers who are engaged in cyber warfare against the United States in the criminal court, right? So we've indicted them. We indicted five Chinese intelligence officers in May of 2014. I was unsealed by uh, Attorney General Holder at the time, all the way down to maybe the simple, you know, the anonymous, you know, like... Uh, uh, groups who are trying to do the doxing where they, you know, take your identifiable information, declare war on you in the internet and spread it all their little friends and try and open up credit card accounts in your name to the, to maybe a young kid who calls in a bomb threat, you know, or uh, calls in a SWAT team, the swatting issues, which we have, we have charged as well. So some of those, some of these people actually get caught, even though they're spoofing phone numbers. Yes. Yeah. We averaged uh, in, in last year, I think we sent 88 people to jail across if my memory serves, you know, kind of across the, the U.S., just the FBI alone. Right, that does include local, state, and other federal agencies who are doing, who have very robust cybercrime programs. Right, so we're just we're a, a small piece of the puzzle. And without revealing, as the infamous phrase goes, sources and methods, you've actually identified people that previously people assumed could not be found or located. The FBI has is lucky. We have a, a huge kind of source collection. Right, so through, whether it's from through a criminal means, where you know where we. Uh, get a, a, a wiretap, we call a Title III application, so we're going in and requesting collection or you know FISA on the national security side or the, the public volunteer stuff, right? So we'll get a, a company that'll say, hey, we think we've been hacked. Here's some data, what can you tell us about it? So we have a access to a lot of data, and then based on that, you start pulling threads, right? Somebody had to register that email account or you know, maybe it's the specific malware. You know, when you write a piece of malware, you know, it's it's, it's going to be unique to you. When you write the next piece, there's going to be techniques that you use and how you code that that's going to be similar to the next piece. And maybe we can track it back to you through through that. We saw that. So these authors can be fingerprinted by their work. Exactly. As we saw that play, play out with the, uh, the North Korean attack against Sony Pictures Entertainment in 2014 when you looked at some of the methods in, in, in the malware they, they used in that initial attack was tracked back to other North Korean malware. So... At the Information Security Summit today, part of the venue is talking about career connection. And there are a lot of students here, and we've talked in 
previous podcasts that were recorded today to folks from various universities. There are individuals coming up in the information security field, and the FBI is, is looking for them. And what would you tell someone who's considering a career in information security? Why should they consider the FBI as a choice? Well, first, I would say it's a great career because I think they've made a, a wise choice, right? It's obviously the growth industry for the, next, for the foreseeable future. Certainly the FBI, there's two things when you talk to FBI people, whether they're here or anywhere around the world. There's a couple of former FBI guys I saw walking around out in the hallway. And the two things that, that people love about the FBI when they come to work, one is the mission. You know, we have a great mission. You know, the mission of the FBI is to protect the American people and uphold the U.S. Constitution. That's pretty powerful, pretty fulfilling for a lot of people. And second is just the people we hire, right? We have a great workforce across the board, whether it's in FBI Cleveland or FBI headquarters, any of the field offices around the world. We have really, really exceptional people. And, and generally when people retire from the FBI, leave the FBI, they'll invariably they'll call back and say, man, I, you know, I don't miss all the work sometimes in the, in the bureaucracy, but I sure, sure do miss the people. So um, I think those are the two strengths of the FBI, and certainly when we're hiring young people in, and we'd like to think that, you know, because of our mission, the people kind of sets us apart. Now, we had an earlier podcast where we talked with a gentleman, Rich uh, Ulam from InfraGuard, and uh, he was talking about this is a great way for people to get their know their, their local folks from the FBI. How much is networking uh, of value to the FBI? Are you looking to actively get to know people? And, and how has that changed in, in terms of the way the organization operates these days? So certainly we network as much as possible events like this. Um, this type of summit is fantastic for us to, is a network enabler, really getting the message out that, hey, you know, what's important to us, what we're looking for? Uh, you know, certainly we just want entities to, you know, if a business gets hacked, is call somebody, whether they call the FBI, they call Secret Service, call local, state, uh, other federal agencies, call somebody to get them involved, right, so that we can start talking about what the issue is. So we do extensive outreach, you know, to these types of events, as does every field office, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of speeches a year and presentations to all sorts of different groups. And, you know, Rich is, is president of our InfraGuard chapter, which is a, that was an idea in 1996, which started here in Cleveland, where you had the local FBI field office, an agent who had some friends in cybersecurity in the Cleveland area and said, you know, there's no groups about in the area to talk about this. We should form a group to talk about cybersecurity, 1996. And they formed the first InfraGuard chapter. And so now it's got, uh, you know, 60,000 members plus worldwide, 85 chapters around the United States. Really, really exciting. But that's just one person with an idea. And that started right here in Cleveland. Right here in Cleveland. Now there's chapters everywhere. Incredible. So what would you tell someone who maybe they're coming right out of college or maybe they're already in work in the commercial sector, but they're thinking, you know, maybe I should consider doing something with the FBI. Well, what would you tell them? How would they get started? Well, first thing, I would, anybody who's interested, you know, either you know, talk to our, our human resources department at you know, FBI Cleveland or wherever they live around the country. Every office has a, an HR department. And go on fbijobs.gov, www.fbijobs.gov, and you can at least see the different types of careers in the FBI. And then if you're interested, certainly talk to the applicant coordinator, come in the office, maybe meet some people, can talk about, hey, what special you're looking in? Are you looking to be a special agent? Are you looking to be a computer scientist, a data scientist, intelligence analyst, tactical analyst, whatever that is, information technology specialist, we can show you kind of what we have, the different type of career ladders, and then you know, get you pointed in the right direction. And just to throw out another question in a totally different direction, the person who's listening to this podcast who is saddled with the task of dealing with information security in their organization, and they're thinking, where do I start? What would you say, what would you give as, as advice to that 
business professional, where should they start in terms of trying to protect the organization with which they're charged to secure? From your perspective at the FBI, in terms of the threats you see on a daily basis, so certainly, you know, I'd hope that you know, if, you know, somebody in the IT and the business community, business in our local area is is talking to all the different, you know, their counterparts in all the different, you know, segments of that organization, right, up through the C-suite. So they, we all understand what the risks are associated with cybersecurity, right? This is not an IT problem anymore. Uh, it stopped being that a long, long time ago. So that everybody across the enterprise, that specific enterprise, understands all the risks they're associated with. What are we trying to protect? What's important to us? How do we protect that? What are we going to do when an actor, you know, makes it makes a run at us and, and infiltrates our network? Who are we going to call? Have a plan, right? And understand what that plan is, and and how do you enable that? Who can start that phone tree of hey, we've been we've been attacked? If you wait too long, then really, you know, minutes and hours start to matter when you start talking about something as simple as business email compromise, where somebody spoofs the CEO or the CFO's email account, and uh, a bad guy then you know gets a wire transfer in the, into the hundreds, thousands, millions, you know, tens of millions of dollars over time. Uh, as those wire transfers are start to move around the country and the money is, you know, you know, bounces around several times, the longer you wait, the harder it is for us to go back and try and, and stop that money and get it pulled back. Minutes start to count. I mean, very important. Business email compromise. Yes. Where somebody pretends to be somebody saying, hey, I need that money. Transfer it now. And using that power of pretending to be somebody else and barking out an order, people react in fear and say, oh, my gosh, I got to do that. And generally, it seems like it's always on a Friday afternoon. And, you know, they know that if they've compromised the CEO's email account, they know maybe the CEO's out of town. And so then they they masquerade as a CEO and send a note to, you know, somebody in their finance department says, hey, I need you to transfer $500,000 today to this account overseas. Now, is it all is lost when that happens? Should they just go and cry in a corner? Or or is there some hope? There's hope. And so there's... um, we work with kind of the financial industry uh, to try and, and stop some of these things. And so we ask people to contact you know us or Secret Service, their law enforcement entity, as soon as possible. Because the sooner you call us, the sooner we can kind of start working with our partners around the country and around the globe to stop and then pull those wire transfers back. But if you wait too long, then it's then it's gone. So if they discover it on Saturday morning, what do they do? Well, I, as we just finished up the speech. You know, we have a 24-7 watch center, as does Secret Service, as does DHS, and you know, call somebody. So in the middle of the night, they can actually call you guys when, when they discover this oh-no moment. Yes, it doesn't take us long to kind of start the process. So, yeah. And they can actually save the day and recover those lost funds potentially? You know, generally within a day, we have a pretty high success rate, 80 plus percent of recovering that money. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Gunnar, I appreciate your time and and thank you for sharing this information uh, with all of us. And uh, just to encourage anybody who is listening to this podcast, hit the pause button and jot down those notes because uh, that is excellent advice to well, I mean, an individual in a business situation of what to do. Sure, and you know the people here at the summit and, and our infrared partners and other you know the ISACs, all these different partnerships we have with uh, groups around the country are so important, and, and we're trying to get that message out. So thanks for your time; really appreciate it. Indeed. We hope you enjoyed today's interview with Gunnar, recorded live at the event on October twenty second, twenty eighteen. Thanks for joining us on the Information Security Podcast. You can find our other podcasts featuring keynotes and behind-the-scenes interviews with some of the Summit speakers by subscribing to the Information Security Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Learn more about the Summit at informationsecuritysummit.org. Before you'd go, we'd like to give a special thanks to our ISS partners, ASMGI, 
Better with Mustard, and Hurricane Labs. We'd also like to thank Front Porch Media for producing this podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay secure.